hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. And thank you for tuning in to the Why Am I Talking podcast. I'm Miles, here with my podcast comrades, Jordan and Vic. Hey, hey. Uh, we are organizers. We're organizers broadcasting from occupied Tongva land in Southern California out of Long Beach. Uh, today's uh, show topic, we're going to be talking about uh, the history of Mayday as well as the current organizing efforts around this workers' holiday. Welcome, y'all. Welcome, y'all. So first, we're going to be covering some of the history of Mayday. Super important to be well acquainted with why we have it anyway. Why is it not really prioritized as a mm -hmm. holiday here in the U.S.? Exactly. Whereas in other countries, hey, they have Mayday as a holiday on the books. Yeah, so the reason that in America, May Day isn't an official holiday. Labor Day is the fake May Day, so to speak, because uh, May Day has a really much like Pride has a very dark, violent beginning that is like not a family friendly story of uh, basically like a riot in Chicago where where a bomb was set off. So like that's why they don't talk about that. They don't want to remind us of that history, you know. But doing this research. We found a lot of things that really, not just parallel now, but honestly, as leftists, I think a lot of us know the general story of May Day. But the actual story is like way crazier than I ever thought. Like it honestly reads like a movie script. Like if it was written as a script, I'd be like, this is a little on the nose. Basically, in the late 1860s, like uh, labor had finally won the right for the eight hour workday in Chicago. But, you know, big surprise, a lot of employers were not following that law and that was getting violated a lot. So, for example, you know, in Chicago specifically, what kind of helped set this off was the 1872 Great Fire. And some of you might know a little bit about this, but it basically destroyed most of Chicago. And the taxpayer money used to rebuild Chicago only got sent to the rich, right? Like common people didn't get a lot of money. It mostly went to employers, stuff like that. I don't know if that reminds you of anything today. So, oh, no, it doesn't sound familiar at all. Nope. nope. So like today or the 2009 crash... Uh, after the recovery, like economic inequality was way worse than when it started. Are you reading into the future or, or into the past? <laughs> Both, I guess. It, are, it, are, it, it keeps happening, oddly. So in like a, about 1885, uh, the police commissioner for Chicago PD was like very anti-labor. And Chicago PD was basically used as a cudgel against like organized labor. Funnily enough, so we talk about the history of cops, right? And how they started as slave catchers, which is true. But we should also honor their heritage in the fact that they mostly came out of private security forces for the, the factories. So uh, Chicago has a lot of meatpacking plants. So a lot of these guys were literally just like private security for meat plants. And then as the city got bigger and got more money, they started to hire these guys on as the police. But what that really meant was they were still effectively private security guards for capital except like now they were on the public payroll you know rich people giving the money behind everybody's backs you know this still happens today we know this like a yeah, donation I to I the police just, union same thing yeah i want to just connect it to uh some of the private firms today pinkerton still operates yep. and they've rebranded themselves to provide corporate security in the event of natural disasters ouch again another thing that sounds like a made-up part of a bad movie script but is real and terrifying so in 1886, this came to a boiling point, obviously, much like today, like all these disasters are coming together to cause like this big crisis. Um, 
Cyrus McCormick owned the Reaper factory and locked out a thousand of his workers for doing doing union organizing, which wasn't even like legal back then. Like union organizing is on some level protected today, but back then you could just do whatever to people who started unionizing. The police charged the picket line like immediately, basically, and they shot and killed four people. And you might say like this is like a rare event, but it's not at all. Like this would happen constantly. You know, all over the country, but especially in Chicago, like workers at a meatpacking plant, or in this case, the Reaper factory that uh, did like metalwork, would try to unionize. They'd get locked out, or something would happen. They'd do a protest, and the police would like immediately come in and like beat the shit out of them and like shoot people. So it was like even more than today, like a lot more violent. Um, so that really hit a breaking point when on May 1st, they called a massive of that year in 1886. This is where, you know, the name Mayday comes from. They called for a, a mass general strike for the whole city to push back against, um, you know, automation, mostly of factories and things like that. Specifically, like certain plants were trying to automate with steam. Um, so labor had a lot of solidarity back then. So like everybody went on strike on May 1st. And the city was shut down until for about on May 3rd, the McCormick Company tried to bring in scabs to be iron workers, and the socialists and anarchists showed up in solidarity with a lot of the laborers that were protesting this, which is awesome. And when the crazy thing about this, though, and this is where it kind of reads like a bad movie script, when the whistle blew and the shift ended and all the scabs were like leaving work, all the workers that were like, you know, pro were striking just beat the just beat the crap out of them, just like went to town and just attacked the scabs. Which I, I find very interesting because it doesn't like it's not like this was like a peaceful. This was not like a peaceful strike. This was not like, oh, we're we're holding sides. They just went after them. Yeah, it's it seems like there was a a much like stronger appreciation for the idea of uh, class warfare and like tra traitors, class traitors too, um, and probably I imagine life was a lot more precarious and people were just down to get dirty. A lot more so. Yeah, living closer to the edge. Yeah. You know, I, I, things feel very scary right now, but even back then it was even like, you know, I can't imagine me or my coworkers at a job like fist fighting scabs or something. It's a very important concept now in some ways. Um, so big surprise, like the police like killed like three people during this protest because um, it, it did get violent. It wasn't like, you know, the other protests a lot like, workers would just get attacked. But this one, like the police had more of an excuse to crack down because of this. Um, so an anarchist uh, organizer actually like distributed flyers calling people to go to Haymarket Square the next day and protest. And he basically put like general demands of, you know, in our workday, protections for workers, general stuff like that. And then someone, we don't know who exactly put revenge in big letters on the top of the flyer. So this is this is a very important story about always double check your messaging, y'all, because that was Definitely. not his intention. <laughs> he was not organizing a revenge protest. So like thousands and thousands of people show up to Haymarket Square. The mayor of Chicago, uh, Mayor Harrison at the time, like literally shows up to this protest, much like you might have seen in modern day, like mayors will do this where they'll show up and try to calm people down and be like, you know, everything's fine. Like. You have the right to protest. That's basically what he did, right? That liberal thing. But, right. I want to interject here because like 
that to me is a neoliberal, like a liberal strategy of trying to co-opt progressive movements to take the edge off them. Um, and I think it's been super successful. I think it's been very successful throughout uh, history, especially recent history. Yeah. And you could see this happen with like corporations too, trying to co-opt progressive movements. And, you know, it might have even worked a little bit in this example. So it says here that actually he told the police to basically back off and like he went home and most of the cops did legitimately go home and the protest at no point became violent except when a speaker, like the last speaker, again, this is why you got to like be careful about who you let speak in your messaging. Samuel Field was being hyperbolic and saying things, you know, calling out the cops for being like capitalist pigs and and then saying things like the law is framed for your enslavers throttle it kill it um so he kept like saying stuff like this the cops on the scene said this was like a call to violence so they told the crowd to disperse and obviously the crowd after you know workers had just been shot and killed yesterday like got really pissed off and this guy famously said war has been declared on us people have been shot defend yourself so things escalated like really fast from like a, what was a peaceful protest and then seven cops were killed in the violence uh but most was like friendly fire like the police started opening fire on the crowd but like cops are so fucking dumb they like shot themselves more than the crowd shot them which, i could see that yeah i not, you know some things never change y'all so basically, this, this broke out to a really horrific like melee, right, with the police. And somebody, we're not exactly sure who, threw a bomb into the crowd and killed three people, which like was kind of the big precipitating event. And that in itself is not that... I mean, it's crazy, but like what really caused this to be a major event was the fact that even though the crowd was like labor, anarchists, socialists, all kinds of people, the mainstream papers referred to them as European trash agitator anarchist monsters. <laughs> doesn't really roll off the tongue but yeah looks like they would need yeah. to build a wall to keep those people out <laughs> you know listen <laughs> i personally think the europeans are trash but that's a conversation for another <laughs> um, so are we uh so basically like this was twisted and capital used this opportunity because they own the papers right to like twist this against the labor movement and kind of use anarchists as like the scary spear there even though they were like a small part of this and we don't know who threw the bomb. So, you know, they used it to, to say, like, these foreign anarchists, this might sound familiar, foreign anarchists and influence are coming in and causing discontent in our nice country that we like. Um, I haven't a heard virus. that line before. Or they're spreading yeah. a virus that we don't like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this, you know, this was before they, in this case, they, they thought it was like the Irish rather than Russians and China. So, they, I mean, they, these newspapers are literally calling labor, like, even sorry, labor newspapers were calling these protesters wild beasts and labor was trying to distance themselves from this, which is crazy. But basically this was used as a way to demonize anarchists or not use anarchists to demonize all the left basically and organized labor. It led to martial law in Chicago and the expansion of the police state, all kinds of things. And then there was actually like a sham trial for four anarchists who were sentenced to death, even though there's like no evidence that it was these four people. Because uh, like absolutely nobody knows who threw the bomb, massive crowd, and you know they they ended up hanging them, and they've kind of become martyrs, and that's why May Day is such a a big holiday on the left for International Workers' Day, because this is just an example of like workers fighting back, and, like being quite brutally suppressed and killed. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the story of May Day. It's it's honestly a lot wilder than I thought. Um, I recommend 
I now want to like read a book on this or something because it's like there's a lot more I didn't even cover here. But it's it's very interesting to see the like modern parallels for this. And that's why we celebrate today. And May Day in this country, uh it's not a national holiday, but all around the world it's a national holiday. Everybody's closed. All the stores are closed. Everyone gets to enjoy the day off with their family. And in this country, again, because of like weak ass Democrats, they chose not to honor May Day and instead come up with Labor Day, a day to go out and, you know, have a picnic and say how great America is in direct contrast to May Day. So that just so shows you like in this country where it started, we don't even appreciate it. While around the planet, people appreciate the power of workers. Just the mind state of the people running this country. And it's been like that for a long time. The more and more you read this history about this country, you realize that the stuff that we're going through right now in the moment already happened. So we're just like re-experiencing it now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think, Miles, you, you brought up an interesting point about people were more precarious back then. And like the rough and tumble and this violence was a lot more close. To the, to the surface. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, with like industrial capitalism, I mean, the capitalists wanted to maximize labor. So like we had all of these labor practices. It was like the Wild West in terms of the first factories, et cetera, child labor, 16 hour work days. And I think in the United States, the United States has done a great job of obscuring the history behind how workers came to have eight hour work day, mm-hmm. time off, uh, workplace protections. I think like the most education I got around workers' rights were some saw like the jungle up in Sinclair's the jungle. We read that about like meatpacking districts, but I never learned a lick about Mayday uh, nope. in my public education. Definitely Completely not. obscured. And and to me, I mean, it makes sense if if capitalists basically control the country and uh, the government, the state government's functioning to serve them they're not going to tell us about that history, right? Because then we, we can look at it from like a dialectic and be like, okay, we've won these rights, right? Through a lot of struggle and bloodshed. It's like, what's next? What can we get next? Like, you know, workers have power. How do we use that power? But it seems like there's been a really effective undermining of the working class power throughout the past 100 years, 140 years. Definitely. So that's why I'm, I'm glad we picked this topic to cover a little bit about the, honestly, the quite fascinating history of May Day. And next, we have a, a great interview with a local Long Beach organizer who put together the May Day that happened this month, uh, the modern May Day, which has changed a lot, but the core message is similar. I'd like to welcome James Suazo of Long Beach Forward. James, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. My name is James. Uh, pronouns are he, him. I'm a member of the Democratic Socialists of America Long Beach chapter. And I actually was on the organizing committee when we were starting to organize in Long Beach. I've been around since the beginning for this. And also, I work with an organization called Long Beach Forward um, and organize a bunch of different things in and around the city. 
That's great. And recently we had our own May Day in Long Beach and you were involved in planning that. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, so there's been um, an effort in the city for a couple of years around um, having like a local May Day presence and like organizing effort. For like, if you're not familiar, Long Beach is in LA County, but kind of often like in the shadow of like LA proper city of LA stuff. So like on May Day, there's actually like several marches that usually happen in non-pandemic times, and they're all in LA. So like everybody and their mom goes to LA and. Um, you know, it was really unfortunate. So um, a couple organizers a couple years ago decided to get together and see like, how could we build like a local network of folks to like celebrate and solidarity and organize around May Day and use it as like a moment to like organize and uh, folks and agitate and really push kind of like a local agenda within like a larger context of International Workers Day. So we've organized marches and rallies and our DSA chapter is part of the May Day Long Beach Coalition that has several um, dozen other organizations as well from groups that work with uh, workers, immigrants, migrants, refugees um, across the city and other um, larger organizations as well. So it's a pretty cool collective effort. And even in the pandemic, like there's been, you know, some obvious challenges with like the stay at home orders and quarantine and things like that. But that really didn't stop um, folks from organizing this year. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. So this year, uh, May Day, instead of being a march where uh, you blocked off the street, this year it was actually a car caravan. What kind of like inspired the car caravan? Like, how did you make that work? Yeah, it's actually pretty cool because like we, the, the May Day Long Beach Coalition really took a lot of cues and like um, nods in terms of tactics and strategy from our DSA chapter. Um, we were a group that did an early car caravan to, against COVID capitalism, right? This idea that like, even in this moment, and they're like very reminiscent of like shock doctrine as kind of style of folks read, like familiar with like Naomi Klein. Like there's this moment right now where like we're seeing capitalism and it's like most naked form. And like people are fucking feeling that. People are feeling that right now, right? And so um, we, DSA Long Beach was able to organize a car caravan that like targeted council members' homes, especially the ones who are like, adamantly opposed to like our agenda and like um, values around like prioritizing people over things like profit and businesses, and the, the hotel bosses and things like that. So um, it was really successful and, and that really inspired the rest of the coalition to think about, like, hey, what if we did this on like a bigger scale and like citywide? Um, so because of folks like other comrades in our chapter, we were able to share um, ideas about how to like successfully do this and think about like, how do you do it too on a scale with like multiple organizations and like hit North Long Beach, hit Central, hit like different targets, both of um, homes of decision makers, but also like places where there is like active organizing and like really dope stuff happening in terms of like an alternative agenda to what's being laid out right now by people in power. So and I think it was really an opportunity too to like you know take the manifesto that the coalition has um, created around workers' rights, refugee rights, like so many you know anti-capitalist and anti-imperialist kind of um, ideals, and put that in a lens of like what is happening right now under the coronavirus pandemic, because all of that stuff is just like further magnified, right? And when we're in thinking about like 
the relief and like what's happening right now, like, I mean, being honest, like nothing's happening right now, right? Like there's this, this big, you know, things are, we have an eviction moratorium where people are getting economic relief or there's like these loans and shit. Like it's none of it is like even near what the need is, right? Like who, how, 1200 like is going to get you through the entire pandemic and we don't really have an eviction moratorium we have you know a defense in court but like there's so much fear of retaliation that's still going on so yeah it's a really awesome effort to rally people around like canceling rent canceling debt um and like fighting for workers rights protections on the job like allowing people to like stay home not uh caving into all of these like ridiculous like and, you know, honestly, like fascist calls to like open everything up and prioritize the economy and businesses over people's health. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, it, it's a neoliberal patchwork, so to speak. So like that, that's a pretty clear message, right? And a pretty populist message. How did that resonate with people? Not just, you know, how was turnout of the drivers, but also like, you know, crowds and people that weren't driving, like seeing you, what was the reaction? It was awesome. I mean, I think people are really looking... Like it, it's, a, I will say it's like a, it's a hard moment right now. I think for people who are like feeling this, and also the people who are like actively fighting this, like you know, just our own mental health and kind of like care for each other and ourselves is really difficult right now. So it was like super empowering one to like be in a group like this um, and have so many people came out. We ended up having like I believe like sixty to seventy cars um, that eventually um, stayed with us the entire route, which was that's crazy. Awesome. And there's a lot of people. And then that's just cars, right? You think about the people who were quarantining together and came together in a car. So there was a good handful of cars that had multiple people in it. Um, I got the people who were like on the sidewalk, like just kind of like, you know, minding their own business and then heard my ass honking the entire time. And they're like, who the fuck is this? But then they're like, oh, cancel ran. Like I'm super down for that. And so they got a really good show after that, seeing all the other cars. So, I mean, I think it was, it was really good. And I think, you know, that to me also means that like I've heard a lot and you know in in talking to folks like there's this moment where people are able to imagine like these really crazy ideas and solutions and concepts and we're actually like winning shit right like no one ever thought we would actually get an eviction moratorium no matter how weak it is like in the city of Long Beach and it was like a 90 that's huge but at the same time like there's still a lot of people who are like oh, like, there's just no way that would ever happen, right? And I think, especially in Long Beach, when you consider it's such a blue city, right? Like, you just have different shades of Democrat, right, in the city and, and kind of that leftish spectrum. Like, there's a lot of support out there in the community for these ideas that some people think are really radical because people are intimately feeling that right now. Um, Definitely. So you feel like, like even more than most Maydays, now that the crisis is getting so acute, the message is resonating more and it, it seems like it's having an effect. I mean, the city council is voting again on the eviction moratorium extension pretty soon. I think so. And I think that like, it's important that we're able to, you know, even have people just like, cause I had some people like try and clap back at me. Like, what's the point? Like, why are you, you know, like just driving around and I know you're just causing traffic. Like, yeah, but like us making a scene and having people post about it and then that gets viewed and shared and like, it gets spread around. Like, this is how ideas like, get spread and this is how we are able to really like organize folks around these ideas that at first might seem you know extreme quote unquote whatever but people understand and feel that in this moment too 
Definitely, definitely. Thanks for giving it. That's a really good summary of like the modern May Day and what's going on in Long Beach, especially this year with the pandemic. It seems like it's adapted from like March into a car caravan and it went really well. So I want to thank you for coming on, James. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, James. That was a great interview. A lot of stuff about Mayday I did not know and how we killed it in that car caravan. So now we're going to read an article from the Signal Tribune. There was some sort of protest that happened May 9th. I, a group of Long Beach demonstrators protest business restrictions amidst coronavirus pandemic. A handful of demonstrators rallied by the Lone Sailor Memorial along Ocean Boulevard on Saturday and called upon Long Beach officials to further open the economy. The protesters held signs that read Freedom Forever and Open the Beaches. The social distancing restrictions put into effect statewide by Newsom and Garcia are still in place for the majority of local businesses in an effort to protect uh, L.A. County. Earlier this well, week... It, yeah, yeah. I kind of consider this the, uh, the, the anti... The- the dark May Day, because this was originally planned to happen on May Day. I talked to the guy on Instagram. Really? Yeah, the, the organizer. Who they'll talk a little bit more about later. But, you know, it's, it's funny. It's kind of like the opposite message of May Day, but similar in some ways. Mm-hmm. Although Saturday's protest organizer and former second district council candidate, Jesus Cisneros, that's who you're talking about, right? Yeah, who he's like a total crank. Like he, I I watched a debate with him, and he said like crazy shit, like putting homeless people out in like the port and stuff. Damn. Well, he told the Signal Tribune that people have reached out to him, telling him they are desperate for work and the city can't afford restrictions on businesses for much longer. I'm calling bullshit on that one. He also probably not to him. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he's also saying. I'm thinking, wow, if I'm spending three to $400 every couple of weeks for food, I wonder how much other people are spending. And he can't apply for government help, which I hate to say it, he has a point there. He definitely has a point there. There's a lot of people who don't, who are like me, who are asking themselves, how long is this sustainable? How long will my unemployment last? So when you have cranks out there making points like this, coming from the left, it makes our left politicians, quote unquote, the Democrats, look sort of bad. All right, let me get back to the article. While the coronavirus has been a major public health crisis globally, infecting over a million people and causing 200,000 deaths at press time, the virus also brought with it an economic hardship not seen since during the Great Depression in the 1930s. I want to jump in here, too, because mm-hmm. um, I think like there's economic hardship for workers like as, as we put it here but the the fed the government along because pretty much paid off we live in an oligarchy they've got corporate socialism out the wazoo yes something like up to 4.7 trillion in liquid assets to prop up failing corporate businesses that's gonna that's made available to corporations hey. Miles, come on. Us individuals, we got a whole 560 billion. Come on. That's like what? Like 112 of that? Yeah. And like uh, half of that's unemployment anyway? Insufficient. Insufficient. It's just like, you know, everyone says, oh, we've, you know, we've got free market capitalism here. Nope. We've got socialism. 
for the rich. Pretty you know? much. So they, they can keep pushing us down, stepping on us. Yeah, Department yeah. of, yeah, to go back to the article, the Department of Labor says 33 million claims of unemployment, a number that dwarfs claims in 2008 during the Great Recession. So we had a Great Recession, we had a Great Depression, and we're past both of those numbers. This recession is amplifying income inequality given that the employment losses are so disproportionately con concentrated at the lower end of the economic distribution. Well, the, this, the scary thing about this is they say, uh, you know, they keep saying like this is the worst since the Great Depression, but the Department of Labor itself just released the April report that said we hit 20% unemployment. Like they say here, 33 million claims. Um, I looked it up recently and at the height of the Great Depression, which was like 33 or something, uh, unemployment hit 26.5. So we're like a, a couple of percentage points away from that. And I just read an article that economic advisors at the White House are saying we're going to pass that. And like these are people that are supposed to make things look rosy. The census data from 2017 showed the average income for residents in central North Long Beach ranges from 34K to 67K with a cost of living that is 43% higher than the national average. 43% higher to live in North Long Beach. The spread of the virus has only added a layer of uncertainty across the city's economic outlook, for sure, and Long Beach City Council is projecting an estimated $40 million in lost revenue this year. And Signa Hill is about to, uh, it's going to have a new tax in Signa Hill because of the virus. It's going to have a corona tax. The rich people up in Signal Hill. I wonder what'll get cut. Haha. Uh -huh. We have to do a podcast on Signal Hill to let the audience oh, yeah. know exactly what's going on with Signal yeah, Hill. Yeah, we need to Long do the Beach. Annex Signal Hill podcast for sure. Yeah, we're going to table that one. All right. Saturday's protest was meant to echo the sense of economic concern, according to Cisneros. That's when you have cranks out there, you know, echoing economic concerns of the people. And you have politicians silent. That energy has to go up somewhere. And this guy is like, you know, stepping in where there's a vacuum of power, a vacuum of leadership. That, that's a really interesting point. I mean, this guy ran for city council, second district recently and failed. He's a prank. But he's tapping into something real when you say like failure of leadership. Like these people are cranks because they're demanding businesses open. They don't give a shit about workers. But we have to understand that like the reason this is catching on. And the reason like a lot of people feel this way, honestly, is because of this neoliberal lack of leadership. All the city has done literally is a weak eviction moratorium and shut down the beach and park. That's like yeah. literally it. That's not leadership. Yeah. They're lacking uh, any sort of policy that really like materially helps workers in this time. And I want to just bring up like this, it, what sort of makes this like a crank sort of protest and position to me is really it's a protest to be like, let us go out and continue to risk our lives for the economy and put our neighbors at risk, as opposed to like, hey, you know, we should demand more from our government, which is supposed to regulate business and provide a safety net. And yeah, to me, to me, that's that's where sort of messaging needs to be tweaked. And I think a lot of these people can be reached through more of like this kind of approach. At least I would hope so. I would hope so. And the last yeah. thing from this article that Cisneros says, and this is something like I would say, it's awesome they gave us a stimulus check. I'm grateful for that. But how far does 1000 go? How far does 2000 go? That barely covers rent in Long Beach. God. 
And that's the end of the article. So, I mean, this guy is a registered Republican. He's a right-wing, quote-unquote, populist. Like, But a broken clock is right twice a day. Like, If he's saying this and his message is more resonant as honestly makes more political sense than what like our actual actual elected leadership is saying is like that's that's scary dude yeah and what miles was saying it shows that his audience can be reached with that populist message yep. it just takes the right politician to deliver that message yeah and you know i think they get that under neoliberalism we're getting the, the worst of both worlds and the fact that you know i read all these emails from the mayor talking about how he's sending out plans to reopen stuff step by step and it's like there really is no, they keep saying data, but they have no real plan. Like nothing's really changed. They're not proposing anything that will like really change the status quo. It's just, well, it's been long enough. I guess we'll maybe reopen, you know? Yeah. And I've heard uh, reported from my sister actually who worked in a restaurant um, and has some relationship, a relationship with some restaurant owners. Like apparently like the guidelines that were introduced, a lot of restaurants are like, well, we can't operate like this. We're just going to lose money. Right. So, you know, given given that like what's necessary really for a lot of small businesses is just not tenable. So, you know, they can't they can't open up, they can't work, they can't afford to feed to uh, meet wages. Obviously, we need different solutions. And yeah, neoliberals, neoliberal uh, order is not prepared to do that and give it to us. It seems like they're really willing for some austerity measures <laughs> and to yeah. let people just go homeless. Uh, but they're not willing to actually take measures that would help workers. Yeah. And it, yeah. our local government is echoing the state government and the national government. And it's like when there's no leadership at the top, it's the perfect time for Garcia and Newsom to step up with some bold policies yeah. to ruffle some feathers, to change our system fundamentally for the better. But that's not happening. And, yeah. and after the whole Bernie thing, I was like, ah, that's a gut punch. But then this COVID crisis sent all the workers home. We were on a like, de facto rent strike. And we had all the leverage for a certain amount of time. And what happened with that leverage? Trillions upon trillions to corporations. And we get like one twelfth for the workers. And like you said, Jordan, it was unemployment, which is like we put money into that. So it's just so disheartening to see what's going on now. And now right-wingers are attacking the government from the left. It, and I want to just like link it to Mayday too. Like at least historically the wins for workers have come from like intense agitation. So, you know, like I do wish we had champions that would go for policies that would change things for the better. And I, I think maybe that's possible, but it's just not the reality. Right. Nope. So we need to get more in touch with that history and look at it and be like, you know, this is how shit was done. This is how workers went one right. This is how material conditions for workers were improved. And what does that mean for us? And what does that mean as organizers? And like, yeah. how should we think about our next steps? Well, I mean, like, as we talked about earlier, that bit of history on May Day, like, it, there are a lot of parallels of today of the crises of then economic natural disaster, like COVID's basically a natural disaster, right? Like the Chicago fire. It's all increasing this inequality. And especially now, like under neoliberalism, not even small business owners are winning these small business owners are getting fucked. It, it really stratifies things even further to where something has to break, right? You know how we say socialism or barbarism? There's no way we can just keep going down the neoliberal route because then everybody but like 10 businessmen get screwed or, and we go to fascism or it collapses into like, you know, 
actual socialism or something like that, which is not to say it's guaranteed it's going to go the way we want it, but something has to break, you know? Yeah, because the stock market can't be doing well when you have this level of unemployment. Like, like no, I'm no economist. <laughs> I'm no economist. I'm never going to proclaim to be an economist, but like it can't. Like, no, it doesn't work it, that way. Like, but what it seems has happened because of this just like massive amount of liquid assets that's available to corporations, it seems like it's detached Wall Street from Main Street, like completely. Like, where's the relation anymore? And that ends that segment. Wow. Wow, that was uplifting. Very, very, yeah. very, very. That was good. That was good. I love how like I'm reading the statistics about like most of which off my head I know because I've been researching them for other stuff about like the Great Depression. And I'm like, man, what a bummer thing I'm saying right now. <laughs> but it's the truth, man. Definitely the truth. Right. That was a crazy article in the Signal Tribune. And that's about it for this podcast. There was. That marks the end of our show, listeners. Uh, I'm Miles. I'm Jordan. And I'm Vic. And we want you all to remember... Ask yourself, why am I talking?